Well, good evening. We're glad for the crowd that's assembled here this evening. We appreciate your attendance so much as we worship God together for a few moments. If you have your Bibles with you and you're following along, you can be turning to the book of Numbers. To the book of Numbers this evening. But before we begin, again, we pray that you've had a good Lord's Day. Many of you may have spent that with family and in spending time together. We appreciate those opportunities as we have them. We had a good crowd this morning. Uh, as I look across the crowd this evening, we kind of had a bunch that were ga- out, some that were still at last leaders and were gone, and now those folks are back, so we appreciate safe travels for everyone. And again, encourage you one more time, as we will in our announcements, to stay for just a few moments afterwards. Uh, not only to honor our young people, but I- I'd like to take just a moment here and give thanks from behalf of some of the parents to those who were uh, in charge and really helped. Uh, Shannon and Charles and Brian and Corey did a lot of things to help us get organized and get there and back. There are a lot of other folks that help guide our kids uh, throughout this process this first year. Don Ziegler and Jerry and Judy and Tabitha and Harrison, Heath and many others, Missy and those that were involved with, with helping them learn things, helping them practice things, teaching them things, helping them grow in those ways. And we just appreciate all that work. Uh, I speak on as part of someone who's involved, involved with it a little bit, but as well as a parent. And uh, we appreciate so much all those who have taken a part in helping our young people and even more so as well the congregation uh, for your support uh, financially as the elders have done so and even prayerfully as we've had a very good weekend and we'd like to share some of that with you not only tonight um, but especially as we look into the next year and it's kind of on an Easter to Easter cycle with the convention every year at Easter um, but there are year-round things that the kids will be involved in and we look forward to uh, maybe taking a very short break but then getting them back involved with some of those year-round things and, uh, and continue to encourage our young folks. Tonight we're going to talk for a few moments about the book of Numbers. Uh, If you've not been with us before so far this year on one of these Sunday nights, it's not been necessarily the the first or second or third or fourth in particular, Uh, but we started uh, what you might call a book of the month club, taking a look at uh, a book of the Bible, trying to do so in about, of course, 30 minutes or so or less to think about how we can encourage ourselves, beginning specifically with the Old Testament. And so we are here at the fourth month, and this is only going to work for the first year, by the way, if we make it in the next year, but the fourth book of the Bible as we come to the book of Numbers. I hope that you've been encouraged by these in some small way, maybe. Uh, Sometimes it's easy to set aside Leviticus uh, or even maybe Numbers or some of the other books that have maybe a lot of genealogies or a lot of laws and things that we say, well, this doesn't apply to me. It doesn't do me any good. Why would I even think about the book of Numbers. But as we usually try to do at the end of our lesson, we'll make a little bit of application for ourselves, And maybe you'll find something that you recall or that you remember. You know, one of the things that we find in the book of Exodus and even in Numbers and some of these Old Testament books are the stories. And I don't mean to to use that loosely. I mean, these are things that really happened. but, But these stories, these accounts of things that maybe you recall from your childhood. Do you remember Noah and the ark? Do you remember hearing about Moses and Abraham? Well, those things are found, of course, specifically here in these first few books of the Bible. And we can encourage ourselves as we think about them. And even as adults, we can take maybe a little bit of a bigger look at them and think about some of the things that go along with the book, the way it was written or the name of it or things like that to encourage ourselves with. We did this last month with the book of Leviticus, but again, looking at the book of Numbers tonight, there are actually what we might say could be several possible names. Of course, nobody asked Joel, nobody asked any of you either what we might call the book of the Bible when they were putting the Bible together as these documents were brought together. But we talked about in Leviticus that maybe that title wasn't exactly the best. 
There were some things that had to do with those of the Levitical nature, the, the priesthood, but there were other things. Well, with the book of Numbers, it's the same thing. When we think about it, you might, it could have been called the wilderness wanderings. And we're going to talk in just a moment about how that does make up a good section of the book. Again, we're familiar with the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness. So that might have been a good name. Maybe the book of the March. It's not the month of March, but, but the book of the March. We think about these people traveling around. Uh, we've had a good laugh in our family, and even this weekend as we were at Last Leaders trying to move just our six, and we had my in-laws eight or so and navigating people, and we've thought back to last year when we had to go to Disney World or got to go to Disney World as a family and trying to move six people, you know, among this mass of people, and we kind of laughed about how some of us would get ahead and some were left behind, and we're trying to stay together. We're talking about over a million people, probably. Over a million people moving together from place to place and from time to time. The book of the march might have been another good name. The roll call. We're going to talk about the course idea of numbering here in just a moment. Or maybe even the book of murmurings. I don't know if you've ever heard it called that before. I mean, that's not the name in our English Bible. But when you look at the book of numbers, there's a lot of murmuring. We know it better, of course. The term we may use better today is maybe the book of complaining or the book of whining. That's what happens a lot in the book of Numbers. And when we look at it, we can say that about the children of Israel. Uh, but if we're not careful, we find ourselves in the same position sometimes. Why is it called the book of Numbers? Well, the answer is simple. If you have your outline in front of you, there are there is and are a numbering of the people. The first numbering is the number that comes up here at 603,550. That's the first numbering of the people. It takes place in chapter number one at Mount Sinai. Now, when we talk about a numbering of the people, I said a million people a moment ago. Well, the numbering that is found here would have been, <clears throat> excuse me, the fighting age men. So when we talk about fighting age men, that would be those who were 20 years of age and upward. Now, we may not know exactly the cutoff as a top age, if it was 60, 70, 80, or whatever, but, but fighting age men, those 20 years old and upward, the first numbering would come to 603,550. This took place at Mount Sinai as we think about what happens in the book of Exodus, what takes place in the book of Leviticus that we've talked about over the last few months. We're still at Mount Sinai here, and the people are numbered. Now again, sometimes it's hard to get an accurate count even in an auditorium of this size. How many people are here? I cannot even begin to imagine counting that many men uh, and to think about numbering the people, but that's what they do. But it, later we see in the book a second numbering, and that is in uh, numbers chapter 26 the second numbering in chapter 26 takes place in the book uh, excuse me the plains of moab on the plains of moab they number the people a second time and this time they come up with 601,730 now what's taken place between the first numbering and the second numbering well what's taken place is the first generation has died out everyone but joshua and caleb have died some people call that first generation the unbelieving generation. And so the first generation is gone, and so they decide that they're going to count again. And they number the people a second time, and they come up with this number. Now again, 
That's why it's called the book of Numbers. That answer is very simple. Although there is much, much, much more that takes place in the, the book of Numbers as we're going to see here in our next few moments together. There are five main characters, if we wanted to say, about the book of Numbers. There's Moses, and some of these you are familiar with. Aaron, his brother. Miriam, his sister. And really, we might could stop there. You might really say that there are three main characters in the book of Numbers. But as we think about the stories that we know from the book of Numbers, we could also add in Joshua and Caleb. So if we were to say there are five main characters, Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, and then Joshua and Caleb, who are going to have a part in what we learn about the children of Israel. What we see about the children of Israel that helps us learn about the nature of God. The God that we learned about in the book of Genesis with the creation. The God that we learned about in Exodus and even into Leviticus. We're still learning about him to some extent or seeing his very nature in action. And we do that by learning, of course, about these five folks and the children of Israel as a whole. Let's take a look at the contents for just a moment and try to break this down into three main sections. The first section is chapters 1 through 10 where we read about the people in their last 10 days at Mount Sinai. Now, remember all the things that have taken place. I mean, our young people have studied and studied and studied Exodus and studied it some more. We've talked a lot about what takes place at Mount Sinai. The, the law, the tabernacle, all those things. We're in the last 10 days at Mount Sinai, again, for 10 whole chapters. And then we come to chapters 11 through 20, and we get into that wilderness wandering. If you know one thing about the book of Numbers, you may recall chapters 13 and 14. It's in chapters 13 and 14 that we read about those 12 spies. We taught our young people, and some of them may have known it already, but, but last week we were uh, pinch-hitting for Heath there on the, uh, uh, up here with the Pew Packers, and we taught them a little song about the 12 young men that went spying in Canaan. Some of you may have heard that song before. It says, 10 saw bad and 2 saw good. Those 12 spies have a big impact because of what they report and what the children of Israel do in response to their report. And of course, again, that happens in 13 and 14, but we begin to see the effects with the wandering in the wilderness. One more section here would be chapter 21 through the end of the book where we read about the second numbering of the people and getting ready to enter that promised land. That land of promise that they've heard so much about. Again, we go back to the book of Exodus. I think it was one of the questions that got asked in the Bible Bowl on Saturday that our young people had to answer about the promise between God and the children of Israel and what that connection was, and it was the promised land of Canaan. And so we're going to go almost through the entire book here before we get ready there and to, for them to enter the promised land of Canaan. It's a lot of time. There's a lot of things that are going on. There's a lot of wondering, a lot of agony, a lot of suffering that's going to take place. And there's some lessons there for us to learn. A few themes tonight. First of all, order. When we think about the book of Numbers, if you ask me to kind of maybe break it down into one thing, I might say to you that a good theme would be the idea of order. You may be familiar with 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse number 40. Many of us can quote it. Let all things be done decently and in order. You know, it's interesting when we talk about learning about God, God has never been. 
I can stand here before you tonight and say with assurance, God has never been a God of chaos. Whether it's the big bang that people want to talk about, whether it's the way that he, ha he wants to be worshipped or the way he's told his people to live, God has never been a God of chaos. He's always been a God of order. Maybe that order has changed. The way that people worshipped him from the Old Testament, from the tabernacle to the temple to the Christian age, things have changed. But it's, he's never been a God of chaos. He's never been a God of just do what you want to do. It's okay if half the room's doing one thing and half the room's doing something else. God is a God of order. We see it in the tabernacle. And we see it throughout the book of Numbers as they receive even more, even more laws in the, book of, in the book of Numbers there. And what the people are going to do. Order is a very important part of learning about God. I would say as well, a second theme is faithful obedience. I mean, that could be every book, by the way. I'll give you a little spoiler alert as we go through the rest of the Bible. You may see this slide every month. Faithful obedience is what God has always required of us. Yes, at one time it was the blood of bulls and goats. It was sacrifices. It was an ark. It was any number of things. But faithful obedience to his word and the law that we are to abide by. Faithful obedience. A third would be the consequences of complaining. You know, in the Danley household, I don't know if we tried the book of Numbers to teach our kids to, to avoid complaining, but it might be a good place to start sometime. When you see the complaining, the murmuring, the whining that takes place and the consequences of it, God doesn't want to hear it. He says, remember in the book of Exodus numerous times, I am the God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I am the God who has made the way, who has provided these things. And there is a consequence to those who are going to continue to complain and murmur about the world around them and the things that they are a part of and the things they're doing. Again, here in the fourth and final theme that we would mention tonight, I would say to you, this is another one that might be in every book of the Bible just about. The idea of miracles. Here in Numbers, we talk about the manna, we talk about the water and the rock, but again, all throughout the Bible, we see this idea of God showing his power through miracles. Through miracles. When we really think about this idea of a miracle, of something that's, that, that's even outside of the laws of nature. You know, we talk about the miracle of childbirth. Well, that's the way that we used to describe that, but it's not truly a miracle. It's the way God designed nature to work. When we think about true miracles, we learn about God. I taught a class at Lake Hills uh, several years ago uh, there on Sunday morning and we studied miracles and the one thing I came back to time and time again was what would it take for you to believe what would it take for you to believe would it be watching the water part and walking on dry ground through the Red Sea would it be watching someone be raised from the dead would it be watching any number of things that that God was able to do through Jesus, through the apostles, through those in the Old Testament, Elijah and others, what would it take? But he's constantly showing his power through the miracles, even in the book of Numbers. A few key verses tonight for you. If you want to turn there, if you've got your Bible, Numbers chapter 6, first of all, beginning in verse number 24. Numbers 6 and verse number 24. We come to what is called the priestly blessing, if you will. The priestly blessing that is given here, the Lord speaks to Moses in verse 23 actually and begins and says, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel and say to them. And by the way, you may recognize these words. 
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the children of Israel and I will bless them, says the Lord. The priestly blessing, the words that we sometimes sing, even from our own songbook, this idea that, that God would keep us, that he would bless us in all of our ways and that we would follow after him. I don't know if you've ever sung that song before. Chances are you have and if you've ever put together, but it comes from Numbers chapter 6. If you're looking along there, Numbers chapter 23, secondly, and verse number 19. Numbers 23 and verse number 19. We come to chapters 23 and 24 and we see about Balaam and Balaam's prophecies to Balak. And as you look down through there, you see a first and a second and a third and a fourth prophecy. Numbers chapter 23 and verse number 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make good? Some interesting comments or thoughts there about God. If you're there, go on over in the third place here to chapter 24 and verse number 17. Another prophecy, this one, very interesting, thinking about the future. It says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of tumult. As we think about the future and the Old Testament pointing the way toward Jesus, there are so many places that we could look at to think about these prophecies. And these are just a couple of them here as Balaam is delivering these words here in the book of Numbers. Tonight, as we get ready to conclude our lesson, a few practical lessons for you. Number one, God has great plans for his people, and these plans involve service. God has great plans for his people, and these plans involve service. Again, when we think about the difference in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there are differences there. We operate in different ways, but many times we can look and see. We can see an overarching type of attitude that God would have us to have in our lives. The idea of service goes from the Old Testament into the New Testament and to us today. We think about Mark chapter 10 and verse number 45 says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. God has great plans for his people and these plans involve service. We are saved in order to serve. We are saved in order to serve and it is an honor for God's people to serve. That's part of what this whole last leaders thing is about. Teaching our young people to be in service. Service to the Lord's church. In, a, in one way it has to do with the, the service that we give in worship. That our young men and even our young ladies on the occasions that they have would be able to stand up before a crowd and lead in a worship service. But even more than that, we said it in our, a minute ago when we began, but the year-round things that we're trying to teach our children have to do with service. One of the things we'll do tonight is we'll, we'll award or reward a couple of our children for what is called the Good Samaritan program, which is simply they earn credit or points through the year, however you want to call it, for doing good deeds, for serving others. 
You can earn more points if you go on a big trip, like a mission trip. Of course, a lot of our younger ones can't do that, but something like Gary and Tom were able just to go and do, you know, or something as simple as writing a card, making a phone call, making a visit, or anywhere in between, teaching them to serve. Because when it comes to the Word of God, when it comes to understanding how God would have us to live, it has to do with service. If Jesus came not to be served, but to serve, and we're trying to have the mind of Christ, that's the life we need to live. It begins in the simplest things that we do here, at the church building even, and even extending further out into the mission field and out into the world and everywhere in between. God has always been involved with service, and he wants his people to be that way as well. Number two tonight, God has the right to discipline and punish his people. Throughout these practical applications, we go forward to the New Testament and try to think about a passage that would apply to us in some sense. And so we talk about 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 8. 2 Timothy 4, 8, where Paul writes to Timothy and he says, Finally, finally here there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. The idea that God is going to judge is something that many people don't want to consider. They don't like to think about it. We live in a world where people say, you can't judge me and I can't judge you. And God certainly can't judge. But yet here we see in not only Paul's words to Timothy, but in the book of Numbers. And again, everywhere in between. God, with his chosen people, blessing them keeping them, protecting and providing for them also has the right to discipline and punish his people. It happens to us even today as we think about the discipline that we go through from time to time, the things that might cause us to think about serving God, not so much that God picks out each one of us and says, well, you need to be punished or you need to be punished, but sometimes things happen. Oftentimes in today's world, of course, for us, we're, we're punished by our own choices. Maybe our own bad choices cause us to suffer through things, but, but by that discipline, we may be brought back to service to God. God has done a lot of things for us, for me, and for you. He's blessed us in many ways. And as we think about that, he has the right to judge. Jesus says that it is his words that will judge us in that last day. The righteous judge is not there to cast condemnation out on everyone. But as Paul says there, he's there to give the crown of righteousness. So many people want to say you can't judge and God can't judge because they don't want to be condemned. But God is not trying to do that. He only does that for those who would be disobedient, for those who would not follow his word. He wants to deliver the crown of righteousness. We see this as he wants to bless the children of Israel through their murmuring and complaining through the book of Numbers as we see them. And, and even on further in the Old Testament, turn their back on God. Then, of course, he's left to, to discipline and to punish them. And we see even in our lives that he wants to bless us if we will follow his word. The third and final practical lesson tonight, no one is above sin. No one is above sin. We've talked a lot about 1 John chapter 1 here lately. We won't read that entire passage again. Through our lessons on the scheme of redemption, the simple plan of salvation... God's second law of pardon in the last few weeks. We've talked a lot about 1 John 1, about walking in the light, 
about seeking to serve after him, about the confidence that we can have when we're trying our best to do what God would have us to do. But what that also reminds us is, is that no one is above sin. You may recall a few weeks ago, we talked about that confidence. We pointed out the fact that, that what John is saying there is that if we're walking in the light and we sin, which means that we can be walking in the light and still have sin. We can still mess up. No one is above sin. Even the children of Israel, even the children of Israel who were physically guided by the Lord's presence. And I can try to imagine that. and I don't know if you can, but it's not like us today where we don't interact with God the same way. They are physically guided by God's presence. They can look around them and see the pillar They can see the cloud guiding them, protecting them. Even the children of Israel, with that guidance, struggled with disbelief and sin. We see it in the murmuring, the complaining, the wandering the wilderness, the not believing that they could take the land. Even those children that had God right there in that sense, they could see it on the mountain at Mount Sinai. They could see it in the pillar. They could see it all around in the physical presence of God. They still struggled with sin and disbelief. No one is above sin. We're not even today, no elder, no preacher, no member, no anyone is above sin. That's a humbling thought, but it's something that we can consider and even learn from the book of Numbers. You know, it's interesting sometimes, I don't know the Bible that you have, this is one that I was given many years ago, but but at the beginning of each book, it gives a little, you know, short little paragraph about the book, and even today as I was studying for a few more minutes and turned to that, it had a pretty good idea that I wanted to share with you as we close tonight. In talking about things that we can learn from the book of Numbers, again, those who would put this particular Bible together said, while it may be necessary to pass through the wilderness, one of the things that we can learn from the book of Numbers is, while it may be necessary to pass through the wilderness, one does not have to live there. It took, or what it was for the children of Israel, it took an 11-day journey, and because of that disbelief and sin, Because of that murmuring and complaining, it took an 11-day journey and turned it into a 40-year agony. That's kind of an interesting thought to think about what can happen to us. When we live our lives in that sense of struggle, always sort of with this state of sinning and disbelief, not wholly committing to God, not fully believing and trusting in Him, even as we are about to sing in a few moments here. When we live in that, that land of murmuring and complaining, it can take a, just a short journey and turn it into a long period of agony. We have to pass through the wilderness. We talked this morning about the storms of life. We pass through those troubles, but we don't have to stay there. We can come to God. We can be welcomed by Him and receive His shelter, His guidance, His protection, His blessings. And we can certainly learn a lot, even tonight, from the children of Israel and the book of Numbers. As always, I would kind of leave you with, if you have a moment over the next week or so, or even next month, by the time we roll around to our next lesson, take a peek at the book of Numbers again. I'll even give you permission to skip over the long parts, maybe the genealogies and things, but remind yourself of some of those stories and the application that we can make for our life. This last lesson is important here, though, as we are about to sing this song of invitation. No one is above sin. And as the audience is gathered here this evening, the possibility exists that someone here tonight may need to become a child of God, admitting that there's sin in your life that you can have taken away, but only by the blood of Christ. 
Only by submitting yourself to him in baptism, allowing the blood of Jesus to wash away your sins so that the Lord can add you to his church. Maybe you're here tonight and you know that great and wonderful feeling. Being a child of God, being a part of the family, having your sins washed away, standing pure and clean in newness of life, ready to walk and follow after him. No one is above sin. Sometimes sin comes back and it overtakes us and it turns us away from God. It separates us from God. You can come back to him. You can pray for forgiveness, repent of your sins, pray for forgiveness, and he is faithful to forgive. Maybe you're here tonight and there's something else amiss in your life. Maybe there's something else you're struggling with and you would like the prayers of this congregation to encourage you. If there's anything that we can do to help you, we'd be glad to do it. Even now as we stand together and as we sing.